I guess we'll go ahead and start. So welcome back, everyone. The Art of Game Mastery is Finding Paths. Um, we're trying something a little bit different this week. Uh, instead of streaming it, um, we are going to kind of try to pre-record it and see. We weren't getting a whole lot of uh, engagement with the stream, so we figured we might try pre-recording it and try to do some post-processing and whatnot to try to increase the algorithm and see if we can get that working. Um, the VODs on YouTube will be the primary source on this one. Uh, we will, you know, after this is done, we will reflect on it and see if this is the path we want to, you know, the thing we want to do going forward. Um, but last week we did a, on our stream, we did a show on a fate, fate core, uh, like a retrospective on that. And we wanted to do something similar. Jackie ran a call of Cthulhu game, uh, relatively recently it's been a bit ago at this point um i was not involved in it so um i have not had a chance to play so we're gonna be i'm gonna be asking them questions on you know how the game is played how it differs from like pathfinder 2e or fate now they've played fate and trying to just get like do a little mini retrospective on that as well um we wanted to try to you know this is a game mastering channel and while this stream is typically pathfinder 2e focused we do want to um talk about some other games as well and how they might play into your Pathfinder 2e games uh you know what kind of what kind of ideas you can take from these other games and kind of mold them in as homebrew in your Pathfinder 2e games all right so let's lead into this um Jackie why don't you get start off and give us like the quick for me in particular since I wasn't involved in playing it what's the quick uh you know high level 30,000 foot view of how Call of Cthulhu works as it's a narrative RPG right rather than like a like a pathfinder yeah, D&D style RPG. Um I think you would like Call of Cthulhu. It's very similar to Fate. Um some of the bigger differences is the D100 dice as opposed to the Fate dice. It's definitely designed to set up as instead of an, an actor you're set up as an investigator and um instead of the group kind of determining what the plot's going to be is definitely a keeper run uh story game. And by keeper, you mean like the game master, right? Right. The in Call of Cthulhu, you are the keeper. Okay. So what's what's the goal, I guess, of Call of Cthulhu? It's like from what I know about it, it's like to you basically everyone's gonna eventually go insane. You're just trying to prolong the inevitable, <laughs> I guess. Um. So I know that in other games that we play, we have like health trackers and conditions. And ultimately, anything that happens to the player in other games, you know, so as long as they don't die, they can recover. And in Cthulhu, it's very realistic, and so the damage that you take is a bit slower to recover, but that can happen. But mm -hmm. one thing that you can't really help is your insanity. And your sanity meter slowly declines. And when it gets down to zero, you go completely mad. And your character becomes unplayable. So instead of taking like HP damage like in a D&D derived game or stress like you would in Fate, you're basically just accumulating insanity. Well, yeah, you can definitely... Um, you have a constitution and you do have health. Hmm. Um, so some of the um, things that make up what makes Call of Cthulhu interesting is that it's not always about the Eldritch Core. There is quite a bit of other real-life problems that you're going to deal with most commonly because of the era that Call of Cthulhu is set in, you're going to be fighting against uh, mafia, mobsters, the uh, improvised um, like Tommy Gun is going to play a role in how much damage you're going to be dealing or if you're going to be grappling with one another. So those rules for hit points are definitely in there, but they don't take the, the forefront of the game. I see. I know Call of Cthulhu is like the go-to system in japan right now and it has been for a while it's the number one most popular system in japan which is interesting to me um and it's also the most popular system among women players in japan um absolutely um i think it's really easy to see why because um in japan Alame and call of cthulhu are i want to say the same genre that they're just different nationalities Hmm. Interesting. I'm, admittedly, I'm not. I'm not very up to speed on the Call of Cthulhu um, mm -hmm. legacy or lore kind of deal. Like, I I never really got into those those books. The you know the mm -hmm. 
what's the author I'm thinking of? Uh, Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yeah. I never really read any of their stuff. Uh, and I know that's kind of like the origin of the whole Cthulhu universe, I guess. Um, so my knowledge there is a little bit slim, but what, 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 I'm curious about that statement you made. You said the anime and uh, Call Cthulhu are right. same genre. So Can you elaborate on that a bit? You've watched a lot of anime. Mm -hmm. um, I know you have, um, but for the sake of the, the thing. Um, so some of the plots, would you say, on anime are, are like very lighthearted and they deal with like, you know, uh, really easygoing subjects? A lot of them, yeah, I would say that, especially if you look into like the shonen, shonen plots and whatnot. And and then you look at some of the other anime, and it's very deep, dark plots yes. that go into the twisting parts of of your mind. Mm -hmm. A lot of madness based um, anime that kind of covers those darker aspects, of the fear of the unknown, understanding you know humanity, and a lot of. Uh, terrestrial or uh you know extraterrestrial like threats those mm -hmm. are really common tropes in a lot of anime totally yep i see you're going with this now that's interesting i never really connected those dots like that but that's a that's a very good point um now from what i understand call of cthulhu is very much more similar to fate than like a D, &D drive game right it's very much as we described it sounds much more narratively driven than, than oh yeah yeah i would um, say that the the amount of rules that you have to know to play Fate are, you know, they're really, really short listed, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Call of Cthulhu is a bit more rule heavy. Okay. So I think that might have uh, appeal to a different type of audience than uh, people who are looking to throw a Fate game. But also the, um, the aspect that you want the Keeper to kind of come up with what kind of, of game they're going to be playing. It's going to be like, a Japanese horror or uh, yeah. body uh, body gore. What you guys? What is that called? The uh, body manipulation. That's a mm. pretty common anime. I'm not kind sure. Of like, like, like the stuff you would see in like Akira, where yeah. you see that. Like, um, I mean, a of, lot like, of it's in cyberpunk, but. Mm -hmm. Um. So now that you've played Fate or rather you've played and GM Fate and you've GM Call of Cthulhu, would you say that what kind of similarities and differences are there given that they're a similar kind of narratively focused game? Um, you already mentioned that the dice are not obviously D100 instead of the Fate dice, which mm -hmm. totally makes sense. Um, but are there like in mechanics wise, are there things that like after playing one, like after like, no. you GM Call of Cthulhu first, the right? Mechanics are, the mechanics are not like, the physical mechanics are not like Faint okay. at all, I would say. Interesting. It, it reads like a modern style Dungeons & Dragons, almost, in my opinion. Interesting. There is... Um, have you played GURPS? No, but I've read a bit about it. Okay, so kind of like the way that they really emphasize character creation. Mm -hmm. um, instead of Fate, where it's kind of like everybody works together to come up with what they're going to do, Call of Cthulhu has these uh, like i want to say trope or cliche kind of like archetypes that you can choose the type of investigator that you are they want you to fill a niche role they want you to be an architect or a um a bad cop a good investigator they want you to kind of fill in these roles they they have a lot of veterans so somebody who comes from like specific backgrounds and they want you to really like feel like you can choose a specific type because then it's going to have very strict rules about how that's going to affect your, you so know, your similar attributes. to how like D and D or Pathfinder has specific classes. Call of Cthulhu has these specific archetypes that they like expect you to fall into, kind of deal. Yeah. Yep. That, that's exactly. Okay. That's exactly. It. Yeah. So, so I guess uh, example for like the game that we ran, um, we had one person play an oceanographer. We had one play person play an IT. Uh, so. Now, are the archetypes Everybody. the same for all games, or does it like each each game, like the GM or the keeper comes up with the archetypes that are relevant for their game? Uh, I didn't see anything in the rules that specified that you had to choose what archetypes were available. It looks like the Call of Cthulhu Keeper rulebook or the player handbook is basically going to give you an entire list to choose mm, from. Okay. And those seem to be pretty consistent. It would be like, you know, if you veered from it, it would be like changing the the character classes or the backgrounds right. available to you in a Pathfinder game. 
Okay. Um, so now that you've GM'd this, uh, what are some of the things you liked most about it compared to like games like Fate or D&D and things you would like to see yourself, you might see yourself take into these other games as like inspiration? Um, when I was beginning to write the script for the game that I designed, um, Aaron X, being kind of set in the 1990s, I got the Call of Cthulhu book and I read it front to back and I was instantly, <laughs> I was really happy with what I read. Uh, there was even some monsters kind of in the back. And so when I was running my other game, Libra, some of those things that I was reading were kind of like still fresh in my mind and they had a way of leaking out into my games basically. And Libra kind of quickly took a turn for, for being more Call of Cthulhu-esque. Interesting. So it was, Libra was your Pathfinder 2E game, right? Mm -hmm. That was uh, another sandbox that we did on Thursday nights. You were in that game. I was. For, I, I came in as a celebrity yeah. one one session. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah, we had you jump in to to fill yeah. in. That was awesome. Um, you saw like that game had taken mm -hmm. a turn for going into some undead halls. There was a lot of curses. There was a lot of ghosts. And Call of Cthulhu kind of focuses on investigating a haunt, understanding a curse, basically uh, excavating something, uncovering. So some simple like ideas, like movies that could instantly be turned into a Call of Cthulhu game would be like The Mummy. Mm -hmm. It would be a, a great way to kind of slide that into kind of Call of Cthulhu-esque games. So um, whenever you're like dealing exactly. with the occult, it'd be a good fit. Exactly. So they had, they would have had cult leaders and not everything would have been about fighting the supernatural. They, mm -hmm. There's a lot of bravado and fighting, you know, Western style gunslinging, which is the rules are very comfortable in Call of Cthulhu with providing for firearms and hand-to-hand -hand combat and chase scenes, you know, like vehicles. So it's it's kind of it's pretty robust, ready to handle anything in the in the early 1900s. So another thing that I really liked was the monster section, and I had mentioned how it kind of bled into my games. It gives you a bunch of ideas to kind of help flesh out your own Call of Cthulhu game. I mean, when when you open up the book, like I'm a huge critic of what is offered in a book, right? Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this before when comparing things to like 5th edition to Pathfinder about being able to find things or the layout. When you crack open Call of Cthulhu, one of the first things that it says in here is like, let's talk about what this game style is all about. And they give a play-by-play -play about like how people would meet at someone's house and like the order of, you know, dishing out paper and pencils and having snacks. And then it does a play-by-play -play of like, people getting into character or not getting into character. And I think that Pathfinder assumes you already know what's going on. And 5th edition pretends that you know what's going mm -hmm. on, right? They're just like, I mean, before Critical Role, 5e was just like, you know, go watch these videos. Right. You know? Call of Cthulhu gets right in and they fleshed it out with kind of a detailed way so that you would, anybody picking up the book would probably feel comfortable with playing it instead of, how I felt at the time, like I needed to see it played first. That way, like I knew I was doing it the right way. That's interesting. So it, uh, something that's common in a lot of Japanese role-playing games, and I wonder if this isn't either one of the reasons that it's so popular in Japan, or maybe they were inspired by Japanese role-playing games. I'm not sure. But one of the things that's very common uh, in these rule books for these games is, I can't remember what they're called, but it's like a... It's like it's kind of like they they have a text version of the an actual session in play. They'll like go walk. They'll go through like the character. And it'll be like a verbatim script. Like it'll actually like the people who are playing. It's basically a transcription of the session, right? Um, yeah. And it's these are included in all these books, and they they're there to like teach you how to play the game, kind of deal. And is this kind of what you're talking about that Call of Cthulhu does? Or? I felt like, yeah, the introduction was kind of like a feedback system. Mm -hmm. The same way that you would get like a, a replay or a play-by-play -play of those kind of games that you would see in those like Japanese mm -hmm. horror um, shows that you can watch. And I'm kind of glad you had mentioned that because you had talked about that before I had picked up the rulebook for Call of Cthulhu. So I think um, bias lies. Like I might have noticed that, or mm. I might not have noticed that that was even in the book if you had mentioned that ahead of time. Interesting. 
Yeah, it's something I've always been fascinated because, you know, originally in Japan, these were just their version of actual plays because, you know, Japanese culture aren't really big on showing your face in public like that and whatnot. So it's a very much a cultural. So instead of doing like actual play YouTube videos and before YouTube or whatever their version of YouTube is, was a thing, this is how they would, people would read these basically as novels. Like people would play these tabletop RPGs. Like, you know, the anime Record of Lotus War is based on a novel that was based on uh one of these transcriptions of this guy's game and i always found that extremely fascinating and i wondered if something like that could work over here um because like they're still used today they're just used more of an instructional sense today than uh than a form of entertainment um mm -hmm. but i'm happy to see that some western rpgs are kind of following suit there and trying this out so i think it's a neat neat idea because you're right, like when you're playing like D&D &D or Pathfinder, you have all these rules in front of you, right? And they do a great job of explaining the rules, but they never show you how it actually looks. So today we have the luxury of seeing some, you know, going on YouTube and watching someone else play, right? But we didn't have mm -hmm. that in the past. Um, and in fact, this is really a relatively new thing. So like, how did people back in, you know, first, second, even early third edition. I know, I know there was one in third. There was a walkthrough in third that was similar to this. Mm -hmm. um, the one in third, a three point five edition that I remember reading. I have the book on hand somewhere. I can show you sometime. Um, it did have an in-game example of what happens. It would read like GM says this, GM asks you to mm -hmm. roll, and then the player says this, and then like they get the feedback. It had some of that, but. Call of Cthulhu also had more of like the dynamic of like how people get together and play the games. So yeah. it was more straightforward. There was a lot more information that was available instead of just like, and that play-by-play -play was not at the forefront um, in the book. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So like, you know, the layout would actually be the races and the, and the classes and, and 3.5 first, and then the feats. And it wasn't until like midway through the book that was that actually provided for you. So along those lines, and this is this is from the Fate SRD, but it's actually an excerpt directly from the um, Fate book itself, which the SRD is basically just a transcription of the Fate book. But um, they do a similar kind of thing, though not to the degree I think that you're suggesting Call of Cthulhu does, but they basically... So Fate kind of does something similar um, in its rules in that it doesn't do it like for the full session or, or like all of character creation or like preparation or whatnot. But anytime it introduces a rule, like for instance, this is the talking about the overcome action. It has this like in session quote unquote, uh, like narration of what's going down. Um, like for instance, Landon stocks, right? Like it's like almost like the, the GM is speaking, right? It's like in their, in their voice. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it shows you how you might play this out in a session, which I think is ex was extremely useful to me when I was reading the Fate rules for the first time. Um, and I think this is kind of what you're suggesting Call of Cthulhu does, just probably to a larger degree, it sounds like. They had a really long, uh, kind of detailed example of this at the opening of, this is the 7th edition? Yes. So in 7th edition, when you crack open... Um, the book, one of the first things you're going to see is literally what you're shocking right now about mm. this. It goes into an example of play, and it just straight up, right off the bat, has a detailed list of what's going on. But in the subcategory here, it kind of explains to you about how, um, like, how all of this comes together. Mm. So, so it... it does it from a much more holistic point of view rather than like a piece of me. Okay. Interesting. So it covers, it covers two things. It's covering in game and mm -hmm. it covers an in game and it shows like how an investigation would, would be conducted, but it also has the meta part of it where it says people meet at a house, you know, the, how people are going to build characters. I see. You know, right. So it like, so it basically kind of goes over it. what a session zero looks like essentially. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. <sighs> See, I wish more RPGs did that kind of stuff. I feel like it's something that's... I think a lot of indie RPGs are starting to lean that direction, which is which is great. Um, but, yeah. yeah. So, so just right off the bat, the things that I liked about it was introduction was spot on. Um, 
it has like an entire guide for creating your characters, which, you know, those are mandatory rules, right? It's got your basics for how to deal with skills and combats and roles. Uh, the thing that I liked, setting aside the book, the thing that I liked about it was, um, at first, I noticed that there was a bit more uh, expectation on the Keeper to kind of set the mood and set the setting. So when you come to a D&D &D game or a Pathfinder game, it's usually kind of jovial. You don't know like what kind of uh, group dynamic you're going to get, um, if people are going to be in a happy mood or if they're going to be like kind of bored or if they're going to be aggressive and they want to just have combat. You know, they just want to roll some dice and yeah. kill some goblins. Call Cthulhu, it's, it already has a staple. It has an expectation. When you're going into a game of playing Call of Cthulhu, it's, I know what the theme is. It's, the theme is built into it. So there's no wondering if, you know, tonight we're going to brawl in a tavern or tonight we're going to go save a princess. Every night that you play a Call of Cthulhu game, you know what you're getting into, right? Does that, does that make it, you think that makes it harder on the players? Sometimes it's like if a player does show up and maybe they had a bad day at work or something and they're in a more aggressive mood and does it, do you think it'd be, make it harder for them to play the game that, that uh, week? I guess we could make a pros and cons list of this, yeah. right? So uh, depending on your mood, you might not be in the mood for Eldritch Horror, right? Mm, uh, yeah. Some people have to um, kind of get into the mood for that, and others like me who are are always in the mood for Eldritch Horror. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a that's a facet of the game I never considered, and that's that's very interesting. Um, so from from the keeper's perspective, I'm always I'm always down to have something alien, foreign. Um, kind of creeping off in the darkness. I want you to investigate it. I'm leading you on to investigate it, and you probably shouldn't, but you're going to anyways. I, I want to drop that in at kind of all times. And so Call of Cthulhu is, is a great avenue for exploring those kind of books. If you've read horror or if you like to watch horror, I grew up reading a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft. It wasn't until I was, you know, in my like late twenties did I finally sit down and read all of H.P. Lovecraft's works, and I wanted more as soon as I was done with them. So the Call of Cthulhu game was a great kind of outlet for those things. Gotcha, gotcha. And I know you you definitely bring that kind of mentality into your Pathfinder games as well. Like you know, most of our sessions, or, or rather, a lot of our sessions, we uh, in Tagaseya we you know, stumble across these ruins that we don't know where they came from or, and they're usually, you know, filled <laughs> yeah. with some grotesque horrors of some sort. Um, Guilty. But from a mechanics point, like, like genre stuff aside, from a mechanics point of view, is there anything in Call of Cthulhu that you could see that could be either directly useful or useful after some massaging and something like, i think concepts mechanical concepts and call of cthulhu you think could be interesting in a pathfinder game or D, D. um so in a pathfinder game i already leaked in a bit of insanity they have so pathfinder is kind of lacking in the insanity department right yeah so they weren't necessarily designed it's not a flaw for them for handling the game is designed to kill dragons raid a dungeon but there are some HP Lovecraft-style monsters in there, like the Illithid or the Mind Flayers, basically all of the aberrations. Right. And so the monsters in Call of Cthulhu book, they go very well in a Pathfinder game. It's going to totally throw kind of a, a wrench in everyone's plans, where usually the goal of in Pathfinder game is reduce its HP to zero, kill it, nullify it, push it into the lava, um, with Call of Cthulhu, the pushing it into the lava becomes the forefront instead of reducing HHP to zero. And oftentimes, when you're fighting a monster in Call of Cthulhu, you can't win. It's extra-dimensional. Yeah. Your bullets go right through it, or it will just regrow. You looking at it will kill you instantly. Uh, everybody looking at it will have to make a sanity check. And so some of the monsters that you can move into your game really fit a dynamic if you're interested in having some kind of Eldritch Horror, big, bad, evil thing uh, introduced into your game. I just think that there are some caveats, like you have to prepare your players for running away damage control, mm -hmm. not, you know, 
letting them know ahead of time that this isn't the type of you know scenario where you need to die a valiant and honorable death. This is this is a situation where you guys need to figure out how to beat this thing. Yeah, you probably wouldn't want to use them as like a a run of the mill like moderate encounter. Like it's just something that would be like a BBEG. Yes, that would take some severe tactics to to thwart. It would require some, and you, you could make the the entirety of the Pathfinder game flashed out with reaching a cult group, finding you know a, a native tribe, working together with them to prepare some ritual or magic to deal with it. You would need to have them uncover some secrets. So if you were looking to have a game that had some more adventure to it, a Call of Cthulhu game could totally fit in the Pathfinder verse. And there are some monsters in here whom you could just beef up their their HP and maybe reduce their uh, damage, although some people might find that boring, but some of these monsters you could totally throw at a party um, if you if you wanted to, to go that route. Yeah. So I think Call of Cthulhu really offers some great creatures, and it also offers some great um, insanity mechanics. Interesting. Um, from, from a fate perspective, because you had asked me earlier about how this would mesh well with a Pathfinder game, and from a fate perspective, there's actually a bit more in here that I think that fate could benefit from. Mm, okay, I'm, I'm all ears. When people are coming up with characters it's in fate, you're encouraged very heavily to kind of come up with something on your own, and I mm -hmm. think that's kind of daunting. Yep. And Call of Cthulhu has a modern examples of archetypes that you can choose from that might give you more ideas or examples. And if yeah. you're playing a fate game, the theme that you guys choose is kind of up to everybody at the table. And if everybody at the table decides that they want to do something that is, you know, a, a horror-themed of Freddy versus Jason, if they want to do something, you know, in space with, you know, like just how, you know, cold and dark the vacuum is, if the players are interested in doing something like that, you could totally run a Call of Cthulhu game in a fake game. And I don't right. think it would be very it wouldn't be hard at all to adapt that. It's interesting you bring up the the archetype thing. Um I mentioned in a previous video, I think it was actually last week's video on the Fate Rest perspective, that a lot of indie RPGs are coming out that are based on the Fate rule set to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. usually they have their own hacks and whatnot. And like the game I'm working on is also falls into that camp. And a common thing that these RPGs all do, mine included, is they, they let you know that you can kind of do choose whatever kind of character you want. But then they mm -hmm. also provide a list of, they call usually call them archetypes that are basically like, here's the high concept, here's the trouble, here's, here's the, you know, it might leave it might leave the, the three extra uh aspects to you and then it says like here's some some skills just here's the skills that make the most sense to start with for this archetype here's the stunts and you can kind of use them as like inspiration for your characters you could use them as is and just say like mm -hmm. i want to be a rogue this is this is this is the rogue they give me so i'm just going to use it or you can say i want to be a rogue here's some ideas that they're giving me let's maybe change this here let's change you know tweak that there and um, they do the same kind of thing with like stunts, right? Like generally you come up with your own stunts, but a lot of these books will have a list of predefined stunts that you can choose from also encouraging you to come up with your own. So I think, you know, it, it is a similar kind of thing that Call of Cthulhu does. It's just more hand wavy, I think, in Fate. Like they say here, you can take these if you want or just use them for inspiration. Whereas it sounds like Call of Cthulhu is like, here, you have to use these kind of deal. It's definitely more concrete. Um, the, the biggest difference I feel that Call of Cthulhu has from Pathfinder and Fate is that the Keeper is like, I want to say it's more concrete, it's more ultimately understood that the Keeper is in charge. I, I see. think there's, there's a lot of encouragement for the GMs in Pathfinder to say yes, rule of cool. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like those exist in Call of Cthulhu, and it's not a critique, it's just that that would kind of go against the, the theme of what they're trying to prove. There's a um, one thing I liked was that I did not have to set DCs for anything. So when I'm designing a Pathfinder game, I need to figure out what the saving throws are for the creature. I need to figure out what the DC is to succeed on a skill check or to you know detect a secret area. Mm -hmm. All I can do is 
complete opposite. Instead, it's up to you to have points in that skill, and you're competing against a percentile. I didn't have to do any of the work. All I did was decide, you need to roll on this. And then there's, there's some leeway with that. Like, I can say this is a hard roll, and now it's half your skill. Or I can say that it's an extremely hard roll. It's a quarter of your skill. So the DC is inherent to whatever your skills are, basically. There's no, like, yes. you could, okay, interesting. So somebody goes to pick a lock, and it could be Fort Knox, or it could be uh, someone's house. Uh, if the person has 30 points in thievery, they're rolling and they're competing to roll like in golf style. They want to roll low. So their goal is to roll under 30, 29 and under to succeed. And they're rolling a D100 to get there. So if they roll anything over, that's an automatic failure. I, I, as a GM, didn't even have to come up with a DC for it, which allows for you to kind of more focus on the theme, running the, the elements of the game instead of getting bogged down and thinking like, what's uh, the DC of a magic lock in Pathfinder? And I need to make sure that this DC is consistent for a, a party of a, you know with rogues or like a, a witch who might have you know some other skills, right? Or investigator to kind of pick these locks. And you've got to find something that's equivocal. Otherwise the players are going to kind of rant and be like, this is, you know, this isn't level appropriate or if the DC is too high, they're going to be like, wow, this treasure chest is super important because we didn't even come near the DC or they're going to open it. And with, you know, yeah, a really, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, what I'm about to say is going to be quite a hot take, but uh, <laughs> I actually typically find that the rule of cool works better generally in more narrative style RPGs. Um, it sounds like that's not the case for Call of Cthulhu, given the way it, its its rules work. I mean, not you know, there's no GM coming up with DCs and whatnot. Um, but the reason I usually say that is because, like in Pathfinder and D and D, like these are games that have specifically in combat. I think the rule of cool works okay out of combat, but in combat, these games are built around or they have their history rather in mm -hmm. wargaming, the combat components of them, not the whole game itself. Um, where you know you have these strict set of rules especially if you're playing a game with like pathfinder where the rules are much stricter than something like dnd 5e um and i feel like if if i'm going to be hand waving rules and there's no point in having these strict rules to begin with so i typically mm -hmm. like in my my mind and like this is where the hot take comes in i find in games like pathfinder and dnd specifically in combat the the rule of cool is kind of bullshit in my opinion um, and it doesn't really have a place in that that part of play. I think that it totally has a place in 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 things like um, uh, you know skill challenges and skill checks and you know more role playing aspects of it. Maybe political intrigue sections. Awesome. But I feel like in combat, there's like an expectation that we're all here playing the same game, and a game has rules. And I feel like the, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like the combat part of of, of D and D and Pathfinder is more gamey than the other parts of the game so i feel like we're, we'd be doing a disservice to ourselves by hand waving the rules when when our goal here is to play the game now in more narrative style games where the rules are a lot are tended to be much more loosey-goosey i think that that's where the rule of cool makes the most sense like I, I would be far more like personally i would be far more likely to hand wave the rules and say this is way cooler in a game like Fate uh, than I would be in a game like Pathfinder 2e. Um, but that, that's just my opinion. Um, but I, I do find that my, my personal opinion is that narrative RPGs tend to fall more into loosey-goosey rules, so I'm typically more willing to bend them in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting to hear that there is a narrative-style RPG that kind of doesn't fit cleanly in that, in that uh, you know, paradigm I have in my head. So, mm -hmm. because it does sound like even though it is a narrative style RPG, the rules are pretty tight and pretty strict. Yeah, um, so. there is some kind of competing against your own dice. Um, there is one uh, niche thing where if you succeed um, a skill challenge by a certain percent, that you exceed with you know like similar to with like fate, right, where mm -hmm. you would create an advantage. Uh, so. Kalkulu does have a reward system in place if you do well on a challenge. It's not... So there are some things where like the 
you know the characters can feel like there is a benefit to to having these good skills and do those does that hold for the keeper as well like do there's does well, first of all is the keeper rolls checks as well as the players or do they just i i don't recall rolling interesting Okay. I don't recall rolling. Like most of the sessions, I barely did any rolling that was necessary. Huh. Because it was most the the whole point was that, um, and I guess this would have a, a critique is that, um, the GM wants to roll when they're playing Pathfinder because that's fun. The mm -hmm. the rolling the dice and the probability that you're going to get from it. I don't think that's the same thought process for a keeper when they're playing. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So how do you how do you deter so you basically you're just the arbiter and you say, okay, I need you So yeah, I guess the the, the onus the role is always on the player in Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So like in you said there was some kind of combat in, in Call of Cthulhu, right? Or there was mm -hmm. like there, everyone has HP and whatnot. Say I, say I, the I players are fighting one of these, you know, monsters mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Um what happens when it's the monster's turn to do something in that case? Um, so the way that I was running it was that when another player did an offensive action, mm -hmm. they were basically rolling for themselves to determine how well they did. And when it was time for the bad things to happen, I kind of made them roll against themselves. Mm, okay. So if they were, um, there was an encounter with something fishy and I didn't actually expect the players to do that, but we had a, a pretty seasoned player who kind of, I don't know, like I would say like, you know, uh, there's always that one person in a movie who's kind of like acts like they've read the script. Do you know what I mean? Like they seem like to be the only sane person there who knows what's going on. Uh, they ended up encountering the, the Aldrich horror in the game. And mm. when it came time for them to be harmed by it, I actually had them roll the sanity checks so they, they they're rolling against their own sanity and when it comes time to dish out the damage i let them know the dice and so they that, have to roll those dice against themselves when the monsters attack the players they don't uh it's really just to see if they go insane it's not like they actually like do an actual physical attack on them it sounds like is that there is, is that definitely right? there's definitely attacks and there's definitely saving throws involved okay but I don't see a purpose in you as the keeper rolling that. Hmm. The, the point is, is that you say it's attacking you. The, the player tries to obviously avoid the harm, or you would hope so. Hmm. And they're going to articulate how they're trying to avoid the harm. And I you're going see. to assign a skill for them. And now they're competing against that D100. It's a percentile. So they're going to try and pick the, the highest attribute that they have to avoid this, this assault. And they definitely can take bodily harm. That's um, that comes with the territory. The elder cores, you know, they're they're going to attack you. They 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 might eat you if they if they so choose to. Some of the combats hmm. that I was in as a player was very mobster based, so there was a lot of guns and action going on. So, a lot of it was looking up the tables for figuring out how much damage, how many rounds you can get out on on your like on your turn yeah and it's it's not this the initiative doesn't run the same way that like other tabletops kind of run i felt so can you elaborate on that how does how does there, initiative work there wasn't an action economy so to speak okay so in you know fifth edition you can move and attack you know pathfinder has a three action economy and fate you kind of there are some rules right Mm -hmm. But it's basically ultimately like, are you creating an advantage or are you overcoming an obstacle? There's, yeah. there's four actions that you're basically taking. Call of Cthulhu, is a, I felt, was a bit more flexible hmm. okay. when it came time to to where initiative actually kind of mattered. And after looking at it from like reviewing, I don't think that there was really any initiative was really warranted. You as the keeper can kind of just say like, you go next. Um, yeah, I guess it's similar to how like rules is written in Fate, right? Where you play, whoever's turn it is, just decide who goes next. Except in this case, the keeper just makes that decision. Um, that is interesting. So I want to go back to something. Um, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, we, we mentioned towards the beginning of this that, you know, the overall shtick of, of Call of Cthulhu is that, you know, by the end of the session, PCs will either die or go insane every time. Like, there's just no way around it. Uh, some might argue that, like, where's the fun in that, right? Like, what 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 about that makes makes it a fun experience when you have no you know you have no chance of winning so i i noticed that that was an issue right off the bat with the group that i was playing with oh okay we play with people from our pathfinder group who are extremely attached to their characters mm -hmm. and i kind of feel like if i killed some of them that there would be some serious heartbreak mm -hmm. and it's an investment so there's this thought process of you know, I inserted myself a character or a self-insert into the creation of this character. They're an extension of me. And it's very natural to want to keep that extension of you alive. Mm -hmm. So you have a bit of survival instinct with these things. So people get really caught up and invested in their characters, which is why character death is such a hot topic. And Call of Cthulhu was written with the same mindset that first and second edition had where and that was just the cost of adventuring. And yeah, Call of Cthulhu I, has it kind of built in with the mindset of like, when you play this game, like the reason there are a bunch of random tables to help you make a a new actor, a new investigator, is because you want to play with the understanding that you totally can go insane. And right, you're going to have multiple PCs over a given session, probably. Um, and I... You bring up a good point. I think that the idea of people becoming attached to their characters is very much a more modern phenomenon. I mean, it definitely wasn't the case back in 1E and 2E. I don't even know. I don't I don't I don't know. Was it a thing in 3E? Was it was in 3.5? I feel like it was going in that direction much more heavily, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like sometimes there are characters that I get really attached to. But more often than not, I, and speaking from a Pathfinder or a D&D perspective, more often mm -hmm. than not, I'm not too concerned with character death. I mean, if it's one I really like, like which does happen sometimes, I might be a bit peeved if it dies. Um, mm. But as long as the death was by the rules and it was, you know, you know, the reality of the dice and not like some stupid thing that happened because of some i don't know so maybe the the gm pulled some some crap that wasn't you know kosher by the rules or whatever then i i typically don't mind too much when when a character dies um but i definitely i definitely recognize that oh that's not the case with a lot of modern rpg players and i wonder i i can't help but wonder where where that shift started to occur you know i think Eventually, people wanted something different. When I went to go play Pathfinder with another keeper so I could get my hands on and experiencing the game, my goal was to get eaten. My goal was to die, go insane. I wanted to experience and see how the keeper kind of threw that at me. That's what I was looking for. You meant, you meant go and play Call of Cthulhu with another keeper. Is what you meant, right? Right. So I yeah. played Call of Cthulhu with, a, with another group before running it. Yeah. And... Um, I noticed that when I started my game, Aranax, right off the bat, I had somebody who was interested in going crazy, right off the bat. So Interesting. in a group of six people, I had already had one person who made it pretty, pretty well known that they were absolutely okay with that because that is what some people find to be more interesting. Okay. Um, there's some new games out there. Um, I think we've talked about it before. I don't remember the number that goes before it. I, I want to say it's like 10 candles. Have you heard of it? There's a movie 10 candles, isn't there? Uh, maybe 16 candles. That's what I'm thinking um, of. Yeah. <laughs> if I can pull it up, um, we can always, um, if you link it to me, I can throw it on the screen. Tabletop RPG. Um, where everyone dies, like ten candles. I know. I, I yeah, I think it is called ten candles. It's, yeah. I get the number. That was that was a lucky guess on my end. Okay, so um, a ten candles is basically you design your character, and one of the first things you design your character is how you die. Then you play the game. Hmm. 
That is it, interesting. The whole, the whole style of it is kind of thrown on its head. And I was really interested in throwing a one-shot of this at some point in time because this is... I think it's designed to be one shot. Like it's designed to be that way. I don't think it's just, yeah, it's, it's not designed to be an overarching plot, right? It's meant to be a, a, set, a sit down session, one and done kind of thing. The, the style is called tragic horror, uh, tabletop RPG. Hmm. I had not heard of this, but this definitely sounds interesting to me. I'll have to check that out. So that was, um, I was looking to scratch that kind of itch for, for that in the first place. And I don't think that it's out of the ordinary to expect other people to not feel that way as well. If you're going to play Call of Cthulhu, I think it's really easy to take on the investigator role when you're designing the character that you're going to start thinking in the back of your mind, like, hey, do I want my character to go crazy? Do I want my character to die? Like, am I okay with that? And I think it's kind of built into Call of Cthulhu that that's going to be a fun part. You're not going to be penalized um, the riches that you accrue, this isn't a, a tabletop RPG like Pathfinder or, or Dungeon Dragons where you're trying to amass a large amount of wealth. Yeah. I think you're, it's, you're it's an inter interesting part of these various indie RPGs out there. I mean, Call of Cthulhu, it's, it's massive, right? But it very much started as an indie RPG. Like, um, And I think that it's interesting to see all these different indie RPGs kind of change you know change the rules a bit like they all do their own thing like they all have their own shticks that are unique to them and in doing that it's they all require their own mindset right that you have to that if you've only ever played D, &D derived rpgs then it's going to involve a shift in mindset and that's i think that once you once you experience one different kind of rpg like maybe it's fate maybe it's you know, the Star Wars RPG or the Genesis system or whatever, or maybe it's Call of Cthulhu, then I think that it's much easier to then play other kind of RPGs that have their own mindsets you need to get into because you've kind of, that that switch has flipped in your head where you're like, okay, I recognize that D&D-derived RPGs is not the only way to play RPGs, and if I'm mm -hmm. going to be playing these other RPGs, I need to get in the head, the head, you know, head set where... Space. Headspace, that's what I'm looking for, yeah. The headspace of this is what the expectations are for this RPG. This is, you know, what I need to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you're right, it's not easy to do for anyone, for any, going to any RPG, if, the, if they don't have the experience of doing that. But I think that that's why it's so important for us as RPG players and game masters to experience other RPGs so that we can build that muscle in our head that lets us more easily. And, and, and it, like we said in the last video with fate, it, once you do that, start to do that and you do that for different RPGs, it really, it opens your mind in even D and D derived games. If you're still playing those primarily to things that you wouldn't have like ideas or concepts or plans or things you wouldn't have probably wouldn't have considered before mm -hmm. had you not tried these other games. Um, and I think so, that yeah. this kind of, you call Cthulhu going insane or dying is just the, you know, inevitable. I think that that's just another, another mindset you need to get into in order to play the game. Um, absolutely. Uh, I think you brought up a, a valid point and, um, that, that I really agreed with there is that you basically were saying that playing other editions is going to make you a better player. It's going to make you a better game master. Yeah, and not just other editions, right? Other games entirely. Um, other games entirely. Playing the playing to those different ones um, is going to open your mind to mm -hmm. to adding new plots, new developments, seeing these different rules and tables, and all the different tabletop RPG books that I've collected over the years has, I think, been instrumental for making me more imaginative at the game uh, table, basically. Yeah, and I, mean, I think it's it's obvious if you play in either of our games that we definitely take things from other systems and that we've experienced mm -hmm. and kind of yeah. massage them into whatever system we're playing. Um, but we, we've said it before, great GM steal. Yeah. And exactly what I'm endorsing here. But to, to get back to the original question that you had, I wanted to assuage the fears that like, you're not penalized for dying or going insane in Call of Cthulhu. Like you are in other games. 
So there's no there's no loss really. Like you won't be a behind in levels. You won't feel like you're lacking in wealth. It's really easy to just bring you up to speed as the next character if if the are, game needs to go on. If it's a an overarching plot. Are there basically. levels in wealth in Call of Cthulhu? Not really. Okay. <laughs> so That's what I figured. At the, end I of a session, at the end of a session, you were competing against the dice, right? So if you had, like, let's say, your best score was uh, 70 in, let's say, uh, shooting, mm -hmm. right? And you shot something successfully, you would have a little tally mark that said that you successfully rolled and you didn't have to push to make it roll or you didn't have to spend luck to succeed on that roll. At the end of the session, or when the keeper tells you to, anything that you had tallied, you can then compete, roll against, and if you succeed, you can increase those scores. Mm, so, it, so if your score is already 70, it's harder to increase. If your score is 90, it's even harder to increase. So basically, so you're, mm -hmm. you're gaining experience, or you're, you're increasing your skill by doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. So That's there really is cool. some reward system um, in the game if it's going between different sessions. And like with Aaron X, I told the players at the end to make sure that they roll for luck. That's something that is happens that gets refreshed at the end of every session. You get to roll some dice, whether you fail or lose. It's just a matter of how many dice you get to roll at the end of the session. So and so like for anybody who succeeded at a skill and they didn't have to push it or they didn't have to spend luck on it, I told them that they could go ahead and increase in those in those numbers, basically. And it sounds like so there's there's no concept of like equipment, similar to how Fate really, but Rules is written has no concept of equipment. Yeah, they have, they have quite a bit of equipment available, but it's not. This isn't. You're not collecting. You're not. You know, the yeah. game loop isn't kill kill creatures, loot, get loot, buy stuff kind of deal. Okay. Yeah, and it, you can play the game more of a survival way if you choose to, but the rules aren't going to to make you play the game like it is a survival horror. Right. Right. So you can totally play it as expect every player to to die at the end of the game, and the whole point is to prevent some, you know, eldritch horror from coming through the Cosmere into our reality. Interesting. Well, are there any any other last minute uh, or last you know, advice you want to give to people trying to get into Call of Cthulhu, or maybe they're on the fence about trying Call of Cthulhu? Um, two different ones. So I would give advice to GMs, and I would give advice to our keepers, and I would okay. give advice to players. So which one do you want to hear first? Start with the keepers. We're, we're a Game Master channel. So I played a Call of Cthulhu game, and I ran it sandbox style. Hot take. <laughs> the... Uh, the modern premise of running a Call of Cthulhu game is that you are on the rails. And at no point in time is saying choo-choo, uh, you're railroading me in Call of Cthulhu, is that relevant? Mm -hmm. Because literally that's how Call of Cthulhu, I'm, I feel, should be played. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to see some keepers tell me that it's not meant to be on the rails kind of game. But I feel like it definitely is. The plot needs to be driven forward. Mm -hmm. The party needs to uncover this Eldritch Horror. The party needs to figure out what the mystery is, and they need to ultimately confront that thing. And then you can have a resolution to the story. Whereas in other games, they might miss those things. They might You might bury the lead too deep. You might throw down too many red herrings and confuse the players. I don't think that's the point of Call of Cthulhu at all. I see. So my advice to keepers for um, if you're interested in running a sandbox style is instead I worked in a death mechanic that I felt was extremely pertinent to the game. If you're going to make new mechanics, then it should be a part of the mythos. And so the party members that played in Aaron X, a lot of them died. Actually, all of them died. Um, but they kept going on. And, and they had in their memories exactly how they died, but they were still alive. Which I basically ruled that dying was a way to reduce your sanity. So if a player, one player got shot and uh, ultimately um dies they are still there instead they recall dying they remember being shot and dying and it's destroying their sanity basically and so i worked in a way that when you're in a deep sea lab underneath you know 10,000 leagues 
uh, death is pretty easy to happen. A pipe ruptures or the pressure, the pressure in the chamber, you know, depressurizes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that can go wrong down there. So I was kind of worried about the players needing to make backup characters. And I decided that instead of the players, the onus on them to constantly roll new characters, since we were playing with a group of people who aren't used to that yet. Yeah. And if you're playing with people who are steadily rooted in this um, thought process where they write a, a funeral dirge for when a party member dies and, you know, there's like crying at the end of the session, grieving because they just lost something that they were seriously invested in. If you're playing with a group of people who aren't ready for that, this is a great way to get your toes in the water and prepare for Call of Cthulhu because people are going to, your players are going to want to make the investment in these characters and not play them as some loose um, you know, troubled investigator. They're not going to want to play them that they have, you know, a, a, a narcotic addiction or that they're, you know, PTSD from the war. People are less likely to to run those things because they're so used to playing as a hero. So right. introducing a mechanic that's going to even further not penalize the players for dying and just letting them play the same character, but instead taking additional insanity damage, I think was actually worked to my advantage because I didn't have to introduce new people into the plot. And I think the players had to do less work because of it. So, okay. So how did you run a, you mentioned that Call of Cthulhu was meant to be run on rails, but then you said you ran into a sandbox. Those, those seem like contradictory yeah. statements to me. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Um, I, I really have a hard time running a game on, on rails. I, when I designed Aranex, I designed an entire facility for the players to explore, and I kind of designed it with the mindset of making dead space, except for 1990s and underwater. Mm -hmm. So everything is going wrong with the underwater facility, and the party needed to kind of fix it. And it had a little bit of premise of about like Among Us, that like someone was actively sabotaging the uh, facility, and the party should have been focused on figuring out who was sabotaging. And the party instead was busy trying to survive. And so not figuring out who the imposter, so to speak, was making it harder and harder for them to get out alive. I see. And so when they, when they ultimately did fix all the major problems, you know, where you try to go through one route and you, you, you destroy that main route, so now they have to think about a new way to get through it. The entire facility was built so that they could explore it at their leisure almost. So I made many different floors of the facility in different areas of the facility. And there were, um, since we were playing on World 20, I wanted them to have creative and beautiful maps to play on. So I put a lot of work into making these maps look like, I want to say like at least the quality of like a board game or like uh, Among Us, mm -hmm. right? So that way they could move their character around. And this was, I thought, kind of helpful, especially for easing players who are used to playing on battle maps into a game like this. Uh, positioning was never like that important, but it gave them more to work with instead of just having to use theater of the mind. Interesting. So what was your uh, advice for players then? Right. Um, my advice for players, I actually heard this from someone else before I had played the game. So I just wanted to give credit that uh, this isn't my original idea, okay. but play the actor or play the investigator like you stole it. You, uh, people come to this mindset of like, I only have so many resources available. When you're playing Call of Cthulhu, you can keep doing pretty much all of your skill actions at any time. Interesting. There's nothing really, there's nothing really stopping you. And you should play your character like, like you're an actor in a movie, in my opinion. Like, Drive It Like You Stole It is a great way to kind of look at this, this thought process that like, you might not make it out alive and that's okay. This is an avatar. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, the drive. Like you stole it, you know. <laughs> uh, phrasing, I guess, is true for a lot of these narrative style RPGs. Like you, you're really, you're really trying to make a cool experience for everyone. Less so, you know, whether you succeed or fail. So that's a really good. Think, that's a really good right. phrase. You're gonna, you're gonna help pick up uh, some of the slack between the, the parts where the keeper is reading their notes or where the players aren't sure what to say, making that game a little bit more lively where you're playing playing into your character. Um, my character, when I was playing in the other Call of Cthulhu game, had a really bad habit 
So I made sure that my person was at all times completely inebriated and the GM, the keeper absolutely loved that because they'd be like, well, actually you just did this. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Absolutely. And they're like, so wouldn't that make this harder? I'm like, let's make it harder. <laughs> Never around the table. It was just like, ah, oh, they're going to fail at this. And that makes it more interesting. I think Yeah, is that um, we were all way more invested in those um, things because my character was leaning into, like I was playing them like, you know, what I envisioned. Yeah, I you, had, like I, you had a, you had a vision for the character and you're playing them like that rather than playing them in an optimal way. Exactly. I was not trying to play optimally and it made some of the other players have to like, I wouldn't say necessarily pick up the slack, but they had more fun interactions with Mm -hmm. me because they were now role-playing with me because I was like, Hey, you need to talk to me. Like, you know, like you're dealing with somebody who is suffering from, you know, something. Yeah. And, And it changed, it changed the dynamic of how we played. And so I feel like once people started feeling the way that I was playing it, that they were ready to, get more um kind of ballsy with their choices they were more there was more bravado there was more um insane antics the the thought process was like let's get all this dynamite and throw it in this hole and let's blow it up to kingdom come like that was literally their mindset after dealing with some elder core in this other game and the keeper loved it and everybody at the table was having a blast and that's that's what matters in the end right everyone having fun so we had one player in my game who really leaned into the the psychosis and they were they were the I wouldn't say they were the comic relief, so to speak. Um, because in every horror kind of movie there's always that one person who's like really paranoid and is probably dead on about what's going on, but the best part is about that is that nobody believes them. Hmm. And so I thought it was really entertaining because they were doing exactly that and none of the players at the table believed them. And so it made for much more interesting interactions between everybody at the table. Awesome. I, I, one of these days I'll get a you know, chance to give Kalku a shot. Maybe, you know, one or two. I um, absolutely want to run Aranax again. So we'll hope- probably run it around um, Samhain Halloween next year. Maybe um, I'll maybe I'll be able to free up some time in my schedule to give give it a shot. Um, you know how those holidays are. Yeah. <laughs> Three but times um, yeah, do you have any last minute things you wanted to say before we wrap this up? Um, so if anybody was worried about having to read HP Lovecraft to mm. get the game, uh, I can recommend some. There is quite a bit of H.P. Lovecraft has been made into movies, videos that you can watch to get up to speed on those things. Is it a requirement, though, or can you jump in? I don't think think it's a requirement to play. Okay. Um, And I will say that I think if you're going to run a game, then uh, from Call of Cthulhu, right there, if you crack open the book, it's going to give you a suggested uh, list of books to read mm, okay. and Lovecraft's been dead for well over 70 years. So all of these IPs can be available for free or you can, you know, so they're available online, yeah. um, but you can still buy these um, as well as find like read alongs that other people have done on YouTube. The, the show that inspired me the most was sphere. It is probably one of the best elder core uh, movies of all time, in my opinion. Okay. Had a great cast in it. I don't know if you. Uh, I have not heard of that one. No. Is it a TV show or a movie? It was a book first. Um, it was uh, like 1998. Okay. So, um, it has like you know famous people like Samuel L. Jackson in it, right? Right. Like, um, so, that was uh, that was definitely my inspiration for the whole thing. Cool. Well. I guess that's all we really have for you guys today. Um, have we decided what next episode is going to be yet? I can't remember. Uh, um, well, anyway, we'll get that information for you. It'll be in the Discord. Like and subscribe. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> this is as we mentioned at the beginning of this. Instead of us being streamed, this is going to be a pre. This is a pre-recorded thing. Um, it'll be you know edited and post-processing and everything. So when we upload it to YouTube, be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, so that we can, you know, boost the algorithm as much as we can and get our videos shown to more people. 
so we can keep making awesome videos for you guys. And don't forget to go ahead and put down what your favorite Call of Cthulhu IP is. We'd love to hear about what your what your guys' favorite Lovecraft stuff is. Yeah, and tell let us know if you if you know Call of Cthulhu is something you guys are interested in playing, and if you have any good Call of Cthulhu stories for us as well, we'd love to hear those. Um, you can also join our Discord, Art of Game Mastery. The invite link will be in the description of the video. Um, we do have a Pathfinder 2E West Marches style game. Jackie's got a Pathfinder 2E game going. I don't. We're kind of full on players on that one right now, but maybe in the future spots will open up. Um, what else we got? What else we got? You're going to be running a 5E game at some point, right? Yep, that is. Uh, it's getting closer and closer into the works. Do you know? Um, do you know I'm roughly going when to... that's going to be? Working on the details okay. right now. We're working on the logistics for making it the first one that we do be live. Mm, okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's, there's all, if, if you're interested in looking for people to play with, come into the Discord, and there's all kinds of people, you know, always looking for games. So. I'm sure you can find a group for something if you're interested in it. Or maybe if you're interested in running a game, we'd love to have you in there and get some some of these people. You know, Jackie and I are only two people. I'm in, you know, both of us are incredibly busy. So, you know, we're limited on time and the games we can run. But the more people in there is wanting to run games, the better, in my opinion. So come on in. Say hi. Introduce yourself. Joined, he was looking to throw some games. But um, so we are finding more GMs as well, which is always awesome. Uh, but for our next show, we have uh, John. If you want to cover your followers' homebrew or the next one, uh, yes, we did. I, I don't remember if I mentioned the last thing. We did release the the final draft of the followers uh, follower companions homebrew on our website. So we will be doing a video uh, on that. Um, we don't know yet whether it's going to be streamed or pre-recorded. Um, it, you know, we're we're giving it. Basically, our, our goal is to do. Two streams, one pre-record a month. That's our goal for now, and see kind of which does better um, and which mm -hmm. is ends up working better for the long run. And then once we figure that out, we'll, you know, pick one and go with it for the rest of the videos. But um, I don't got anything else. Uh, check out us out on Reddit as well and Twitter. Uh, we love to hear feedback there. Um, until next time, happy gaming. Bye, guys.